Dear Father, we come to You. We ask You to be our teacher. Show us what will truly satisfy us. Christ, the hope of glory. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today, in our culture, on the TV, everywhere we turn, we're bombarded with messages. Messages that point out an apparent problem and promise a solution, right? Have you ever heard this? Would you like to get rich quick, lose all that extra weight, and find inner peace all at the same time? All these things can be yours today for only 12 easy payments of whatever dollars and 99 cents. And after either trying these things personally or seeing uh, other friends uh, attempt these silver bullet remedies and then fail again and again, we've all grown a bit cynical, have we not, with our marketing culture? And we don't trust the messages we hear anymore, and maybe for good reason. We experience the same thing in the political realm from both sides of the aisle, lofty speeches and, and grand plans to enact the supposed change we can all believe in or to make everything great again. We all know how these things typically turn out. Candidates will overpromise, but eventually the nominee will underdeliver. Right? But what about the message of Scripture? We heard some amazing words of uh, promise, God's majestic love and authority as we sang. Can we trust it? Okay. Can we trust the record of God's mighty acts and promises to His people? Can we trust those words? Can we trust the one who speaks those words? Consider our New Testament lesson from Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Colossae today. Words that are neither lofty speech, although they're beautiful words, nor empty promises, but actually, unreservedly, irrevocably true right here and right now. If you're in Christ, hear these words. And if you're not in Christ, hear these words too. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him. Last week, our Dean, Dr. Henry, preached on the excellencies of Christ. If you weren't with us, I highly encourage you to go online and listen to it. It's probably the best sermon on Colossians 1 I've heard. He reminded us that Christ alone is sufficient to meet all our needs. He is our sufficiency. Whatever you think you need, it is ultimately found in Him. And so in order to spur you on and, and go back and listen to that this week, I, I truly want you to go online, click it. And in order to do that, I'm going to be very brief. I'm going to be very short. In summary, I'm going to say this. 
Unlike the world's offerings, the true Lord of the universe offers the only thing that will satisfy our souls. Himself. Colossians 1.27 said it like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He invites us, in fact, he commands us, be joined to him, turn from sin and be made new, and be transformed into what you were always intended for and created for, the glory of God. No thing or nobody will get you to your desired destination except him. So walk in him. Now we can just all go home, right? Uh, so let's briefly look, uh, focus in on a few verses in Colossians chapter 2, page 984 to unpack this. This focus that Christ is the only solution to satisfy our souls. Everything else is counterfeit. Verse 6 from chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now Paul uses two metaphors here to get across the completeness that the Colossians have in Christ. He wants to get across this idea of a sure foundation that they have in the Messiah. Did you catch them? The first one was an organic one for all you organic people out there. Uh, it was the word rooted. He uses the image, the metaphor of a tree. You are rooted like a tree firmly planted if you are in Christ. Have you ever seen the incredible root system of a tall oak tree? Some trees, uh, in my limited knowledge and understanding, have roots that go as deep as, or more than, uh, 20 feet below the topsoil. But interestingly, you know, root systems aren't just deep, they grow wide, right? And in Paul's day, he might have had in mind an olive tree, perhaps. Uh, it a, a has a large canopy. Some say they can grow as high as 40 feet tall and have the same um, width in terms of their canopy. So 20 feet on either side, 40 feet of a canopy. Now, what kind of root system do you think would need to be underground in order to sustain and secure that kind of mature tree? How wide do you think it would be? 60 to 160 feet in diameter, or one and a half to four times that canopy, is how large a mature root system can grow underground. Can you believe that? You see a 40-foot tree, 160 feet underground. What is Paul saying to us here? He is saying that if you are in Christ, you are firmly rooted. You have a root system that is deep and wide because you have everything you need. Christ in you. You are rooted in him. The second metaphor he uses is a construction metaphor rooted and built up in him. Again, I'm not a builder. I'm not a tree expert. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on many things. Let's just say that. But it seems to me it's a pretty simple proposition that the most important part of any building is what? The foundation. What takes the most time, the most attention to detail? The foundation. And Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you're built up in him. Meaning, you already have a sure foundation, the best foundation that could ever be laid, the only foundation that is Christ Jesus the Lord. 
We are rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And notice these are, in many ways, passive things. We've received Christ Jesus. We're rooted, a passive, we're built up. And these things happen to us. God initiates to us, shows up his, his majestic love and authority on the cross. And we're, we come to him by faith, by grace. And now, responding to that, we, we walk in him, right? So we're a tree, and that, now we're just called to grow in him. But take heed, a note of qualification. This foundation is not built on a small or weak Jesus who functionally has really only the same or maybe even less authority than some other voices or gods or goddesses in your life, right? Paul, as we read, says, as you received Christ Jesus, who? The Lord. The Roman world had many household gods. You could actually fit them in your pocket. You had personal gods, family gods, and local deities. And you kind of had all these things you could carry around with you, a personal, personal god or goddess to fit in your pocket. Jesus is not our personal life coach. He doesn't fit in our pocket. Nor is he one of a pantheon of gods. Who is he? He's the Lord of the universe. And therefore the one to whom all worship and all obedience is due. So if you've received Christ as the Lord, as he truly is, we need to obey him as such. So walk in him, in him, Paul says, and you will be complete, not lacking anything. Secondly, verses 8 through 10 in Colossians, which I read, you can see why Paul exhorts us now to not be taken captive by philosophy or empty deceit, by a counterfeit God or lowercase g God or a counterfeit Christ, you could say. He will go on to say that these counterfeits, although they appear genuine, they appear to have wisdom and power. What are they? They're empty, verse 8. They're empty deceit. They may have this glossy outside, this beauty fleeting on the outside, but the inside there, there's nothing. <laughs> it's just a, a puff of air. Christ, by comparison, look at verse 9, has the whole fullness of the Godhead, of deity, dwelling in him bodily. He's making a comparison between the, the empty philosophy we find that we uh, run to at times that is our own human wisdom, but the wisdom that comes from God is the fullness of God himself. It's God incarnate. Christ was God in the flesh for us. I think about this in terms of our consumer culture. We get many things from our, our wonderful culture. We have so many access to goods, and it's, it's beautiful in many ways. But there's also a certain emptiness in consumerism, is there not? Uh, I'm, I'm, we're looking for a car right now. I'm kind of searching for a minivan for our family. And there's, some, there's a certain amount of power as I click around cars.com saying, ooh, this one has leather interior. And this one has a moonroof. And there, here's a rear view camera. And there's a sense where all my family's problems and, and all my personal issues will be solved once I get the perfect minivan, right? 
But what happens? We acquire something. This is the pattern of consumption. You acquire something and it gets old. It's actually about a week later is now, it's dated, right? So you throw it away and go get something else. And rinse and repeat and get that little buzz from the store that you get when you come home and then put it in your attic. Is this the same thing that Christ offers? Just, just get a little bit and then, you know, it'll go away and you have to come back. We take communion every week, right? What does Christ say in the Gospel of John? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. You'll never hunger again. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. This is diametrically uh, different than what our consumer culture offers. In communion, when we come to Christ every week uh, at, at his table, you're not just getting your quick hit, your quick fix. You're actually being graced with a life, the Zoe, the New Testament resurrected life, and you're being joined to Christ. We are rooted and built up in Christ and in the sacraments, we're reminded and nourished and built up in his life. It's not a eat, digest, and, and leave. You're actually being joined to an eternal life. Finally, uh, verses 11 through 15, Paul compares the promises of Christ, the new covenant, to the old covenant of Torah and circumcision. Basically, he says, even though, uh, you should read between the lines, the Torah, God's law, was the height of all human wisdom. We look in the Old Testament, God writing with his finger on the tablets of stone. What does Paul say? We have a better covenant. We have better promises in Christ. He says, in the old covenant, there was a circumcision made with hands. But we have a circumcision on the inside, on our hearts, made by who? God himself. It's as if God, instead of inscribing on the tablets with his finger, the law is writing on our hearts his very love and law. How? Through Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you're joined to Christ, when you're joined to him through baptism, through the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's table by faith, guys, you're brought from death to life and your heart is actually made new. This amazing image Paul uses, we don't have time to get into it, but the Roman uh, practice of execution, specifically with crucifixion, they would nail the charges of the accused on the, the cross, right? And so Paul says here, what was nailed to Christ's cross? We know that uh, historically, Pilate wrote King of the Jews in three different languages. Ironically, uh, he didn't think it was true. Most likely, we know it was to be true. But what, is, what does Paul say? Uh, God, by canceling the record of debt that stood, stood against us with his legal demands, this is verse 14, God set this aside. How? By nailing it to the cross. Jesus' note of condemnation was our sin. The Roman practice of nailing the charges against the cross, God used the sins of the world is what I'm nailing to the cross. And it's been set aside. You've been forgiven all your trespasses. This majestic love and authority of the true Lord of the universe is on full display 
at the cross. We have a better covenant, a new covenant in Christ. Amen? In conclusion, only Christ can get us to our destination. So walk in Him. What is our destination? We sang about it, we read about it, but let me remind you one more time about it. It's the incredible glory of being changed into God's very likeness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And only Christ can get us there. Everything else is counterfeit, so don't be deceived by it. And with these words from C.S. Lewis, he wrote about this glory in his essay, The Weight of Glory. He said this, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we give our trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. End quote. And yet we have this reality by faith. We have Christ, the hope of glory. If you are in Christ today, you are rooted and built up in the only reality that will get you to your destination, to be an absolute radiant image bearer of the one true God, the Lord of the universe. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.